Welcome to another episode of Why Indigenous Words and Ideas. I'm your host, Arcia Tekun. Today I have a wonderful guest, the, the brother uh, Tefainua Tewita, and going to have him kind of share some of his knowledge with us and, and we'll talk a little bit about language, uh, linguistics, culture. We'll, we'll see what we get into, eh? Um, but maybe just to start it off, we'll let you uh, uh, introduce yourself, bro. And, uh, and and after that, maybe just a little intro on what, what is linguistics for people who don't know what that is. Kia ora everyone, uh, my okay. name is Te Whainua Te Wiata. I was a student of Daniel uh, <laughs> when, when Daniel first moved here and um, naturally gravitated towards the bro uh, just because I, I felt a similar wavelength going on. So um, I hail from uh, the Waikato region, kind of central, central New Zealand. Uh, from my canoe is Tainui, uh, the canoe that my ancestors came over on, on one side of my mother is uh, Tainui, the other side is Te Arawa. Some people say it's the same canoe, some people say they're two separate canoes. Uh, as far as it is for me, they're two separate uh, canoes. And then from that, our tribes come out and uh, I, I hail from the Waikato region. Uh, Waikato, is my, Waikato is my nation. Uh, Ngāti Mahuta, my tribe. And uh, Te Wiata is our whānau name. Yeah, and I was uh, fortunate to be raised in a, in a Māori community. Uh, on my marae, uh, also um, around some pretty old people uh, and was fortunate to be raised with my language and also uh, that's on one side, on, on the other side of, of uh, my, my one of my grandmothers She's, she hails from another canoe um, which is based around the Bay of Pliny, the kind of central North Island but on the east coast uh, we come from a, a small town called Matata uh, our mountain is Tarawera, Uruawahia, our river is uh, Te Awotautua, Tarawera, and uh, our marae is um, Ngāti Rangiti, which is also our, our nation. Uh, and um, yeah, I was fortunate to be raised in, in these, uh, in all of my all of my nations actually, I was fortunate to be, be shipped around, always had my one, one space where I grew up, but a lot of family would come pick me up and take me back to where we're from and in other areas. So, had a pretty fortunate upbringing, and um, it's it's drawn me into, I suppose, Faka Papa or, or genealogy, or more so towards language etymology. Um, and yeah, got quite interested in, in linguistics. Uh, I'm a musician, and uh, my my last tour uh, through the states was uh, through New Mexico, and I, I spent time with the Pueblo Nation. Uh, different areas and I, I noticed uh, language loss firsthand so I got a little bit uh, scared and also a little bit 
just curious about what, what, what this thing language is and uh, which led me towards studying linguistics. For those of you who don't know what linguistics is, it's, it's the foundation of language. So there are many facets to linguistics, but generally you're looking at sound systems uh, from the breath and the way that the breath in accordance with your your vocal box and or your your vocal folds, um, your tongue, and how, how you can manipulate airflow to produce sound, and then organizing that sound. So that's what we call phonemics, and then organizing that sound uh, into something, which is what we call phonology, and then grouping those sounds to make words, uh, which was mainly known as um, morphology, and then grouping those words into sentences, syntax, and then the meaning behind those words. Uh, we get into semantics and pragmatics, which is kind of the area that I, I love the most. Uh, I'm a little bit of a grammar fiend, and a lot of people raise their eyebrow at me when I do that, when, when, when I say I am, but I am. I uh, grew a huge love for, especially in, in te reo Māori, where we don't really have a fixed grammar like English does. And... Um, finding a lot of different ways to say the same thing and, and how grammar actually allows you to, to convey that. So uh, linguistics is basically just the, the foundations. It's the study of the foundations of language and, and um, can actually move on into discourse discussions that people have and uh, analysing the, the type of language that they use when they interact with different people. Um, yeah, but that's that's me and that's, that's linguistics. And oh, choice, bro. We're gonna have to uh, change your name from the phonetic samurai to the to the grammar samurai. Phonetic samurai is a bit of ring to it. Nice one. And so, and, and I was wondering too, like because some of the stuff that we've talked about in the past as well, as we've been in uni together, is kind of navigating uh, different relationships, different mm. worldviews that we bring into that space, but at the same time dealing with the established grammars if you will of the university itself and so linguistics has a particular history anthropology has yeah. a particular mm -hmm. history like you know the baggage that i had with with anthro for example and you have your baggage with linguistics and thinking about how obviously there's there's elements in that field of study that appeal to us and we ended up where we did but we've also tried to uh obviously push those spaces as well with what we bring to it. And one of the things that you were doing in your research was framing an, uh, a, a Maori linguistics or in, in a broader sense, thinking about indigenous linguistics. And when you talk about grammar, it makes me think as well, like uh, the rules, right? The, yeah. the structure that emerged. So for the way I think about it, right? Indigenous languages are the language of a place, right? The, and, and express the grammar and structure yeah. from a particular place and the history, the wisdom, the knowledge, the story, the conflicts, the, the drama, everything, right, that's, everything. that's in there. So I'm wondering if you maybe share some thoughts on Maori or indigenous linguistics and maybe using like what we've talked about in the past um, about kupu and the word oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and how the word holds all of that, that whakapapa within it. That's a lot in there, bro. So There's just respond. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where should, should we start? Yeah, yeah. We start? Um, <laughs> I suppose grammar, grammar itself. Every language has a grammar. That's I, I think that's that's the main that's the main thing that that linguists always try and get through to people. Every language has a grammar. Bana. There's always 
a pattern to the way we talk, uh, whether it be tonal um, or whether it be structured by by the platform of grammar. Um, grammar is just the title it's been given, and it's been given quite a negative title, and and for good, I I think for good reason. It's it's been for some people it's been rammed down their throat, and for other people it's it's just something that they could never grasp. Why? Because often when you're nurtured in the language, you don't think about the way things have to be laid out. You just say it. Yeah. When you start pulling it apart, all of a sudden the language that you've grown up with your whole life seems like Chinese or Japanese or, or Hindu or, or, or some, something like that, Hindi or something like that. Like It just seems like it's such a foreign language now because all of a sudden uh, when you have a, a grammatical point of view or a linguistic point of view, um, especially from the Western point of view, uh, you're looking at the smallest particle and building up particles and articles, all those things. Um, my partner Rose, she thinks of it as thinks of of um, the little particles and articles as the the pegs that hold your clothes up on the line, you know. And um, I, you know, I, I I I spent so much time out of school that when I went back, I had to relearn all these things. My first time going into class, uh, linguistics one hundred three, man said to me. Oh, man said to the class, our, our lecturer just said to the class, right, verbs, nouns, and adjectives. And I was like, what the hell are these? Never, never understood them, you know, and um, wasn't probably until my, my second, halfway through my second year that everything started to sink in. It wasn't until I actually took a step back and went back to Māori that I started to understand what these things were. I just didn't know them as those particular names. I didn't know a verb was a kupu mahi, a doing word, mm. and a noun was a kupu ingwa, a naming word or something, you know, that's uh, an adjective is a kupu ahua, something that describes something, you know, all of a sudden it started to, it started to fill, uh, fill all these gaps that I'd been reading books, trying to figure out what these things are, and, and basically ignoring my background, and, and trying to, trying to take on um, this whole new language that I was learning, and you have to learn it regardless, but Basically, the thing was, is going into university, there, there is a grammar. There is a, there is a particular way of doing things. You go into every faculty, they've got a different way of referencing. Mm. You know, they've got a different way of approaching things. Don't be passive in your court at all. But if you're speaking English, if you're speaking Māori, you can only speak passively. Mm. Um, so it was, it was kind of finding, I suppose, the middle ground where I'm comfortable, but I'm still able to learn and absorb what it is that's been what it is that's been given to me. Uh, indigenous points of view, and so my master's was based on metaphor, and more so the metaphor of the iwi, or the, the nation that my grandmother comes from, which is a, a, a small nation called Rereahi, uh, which is in the central North Island again. Um, and you know, it's, it's such a small area, but it's huge at the same time, and, and the stories are great. And so I, I just wondered about how, how can I approach this linguistically without having the linguistic frameworks overshadow what it is that I'm researching at the time. Mm. And what I was researching at the time was metaphor. And in order for me to research the metaphor, it has to come from the narratives of my whanau, has to come from the narratives of my nation. And I didn't realized probably until halfway through that actually I can't I can't do this from a linguistic point of view 
I've got to do it from my Maori point of view and use the tools that I've I've mm. kind of grasped over the years studying linguistics. And when we come into, um, uh, I suppose, a, 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 an indigenous way of looking at, well, a Maori way of looking at linguistics and a Maori way of looking at at words and, and the way we speak and all those things, you, you, you've got to start from what are the foundations within your indigenous culture, what are the foundations within um, who you are as a person, what what makes you as a person, what creates you as a person, and, and what, um, I suppose, grounds you in whatever tikanga or protocols that, that you know to be right. And, you know, one of the, one of the tikanga that I, I had to do was always speak to my old people and make sure that I'm always on the right path, you know, and, and there was no way they were going to sign a paper or anything like that for ethics or anything like that. So there was just, there were just, it became more than linguistics after mm. a while. It became, okay, here's our narratives. There's a protocol with the way that we have to share these narratives. And they're only legit if they come from your old people. Whereas at uni, it's only legit if you can find it in a book and you've got somebody to reference, you know. So I think going, looking at indigenous linguistics, I, I still don't know what it is. I, I just know that I've trialled something and uh, the outcome is something that my grandmother's happy with. And she can understand the linguistic jargon. I wrote it in the deal, but I broke everything down so she understood the linguistic jargon. But she also liked how I laid the corridor out, the, the, the stories out and the narratives out and the linguistic, um, I suppose, it's very linguistic paper, but the way I wrote it, she could understand it. So it was, it was more about making sure that my people could read it, mm -hmm. but while trying to preserve the narratives that we have and the words that we have, and then coming back to, you know, what is what is it to be indigenous and, and is it okay to use Western linguistic methods to analyze indigenous language? Is there a is there a, some way to um, to balance those things out? And maybe my way wasn't the right way. Maybe it was the right way, but I know it was a start. And yeah, I'm not actually going to be able to hit the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah. as, as far as describing what indigenous linguistics is except for talking about it and, yeah. and actually developing the idea <clears throat> yeah, you know, I mean I could go on all day about all the trials and tribulations that I, that I went through while, while trying to research my, my paper but coming back to what it is to be indigenous and, and working within uh, a Pākehā framework or framework not of my culture um, and trying to make sure that everything sits yeah. nicely Within and, and they meet, they, there's, there's like a middle ground there. Um, that's always going to be a, one, a contentious topic and a contentious thing to actually attempt, but also just identifying who you are within that space and what it is you're actually trying to do. So, half you know, half my studies wasn't even about linguistics half the time. Linguistics was just the form that I was going to articulate everything in. Yeah. And, and you know, but without it, there's, there's no way there's no way I could have done without the linguistic background that I had there's no way I could have finished my paper yeah. I'm still waiting for my mark but 
there's no way I could have finished it because I needed that grounding. I needed, you know, there, there's a language that's spoken at university and there's a language that's spoken outside the university. And I was taking the language outside the university and trying to put it into the language at university. So, yeah. I like the way you, you're sharing that because I, this is one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about as well is, when, you know, to, an indigenous identity is about a particular worldview and mm. um, that's specific to a place there's such a broad we, we use indigenous as a term of convenience yeah right um, but it, it there's so much diversity within it there's limits to to saying the word itself but it, it reflects a particular worldview a particular politics a particular relationship and it's not like it's this pure isolated category and the western is some pure separate category yeah. we're entangled but we use those words to express particular ideas yeah. Yeah. Right, that express different relationships to the the world we live in, to the realities that we face, and I think this is what's fascinating about what you're talking about with language and what we've talked about in the past as well is understanding the that base structure, right? Because I think about you know in English, you know the we've talked about this in the past as well, right? Like the English that we we're, we're speaking in the you know let's say modern English, um, it's unrecognizable to what English was 500 years oh, ago, yeah. a thousand years ago. I mean, it was more like German, right? Yeah. It's, a it's a Germanic language. And there's so many loan words and it's been forced to change because of, you know, on one hand, this is the irony, right? Or the contradiction. On one hand, it was, you know, through the imperial project of European colonialism, the attempt to get so many other indigenous cultures to change to that. But in the process, that, also changed because it couldn't stay itself yeah. if yeah. it was going to interact with it. this is why we're here and we're speaking like I, I speak like I don't know people tell me I speak like all kinds of stuff I, I'm just a, a mongrel with the way I speak I guess because yeah. I um, speak different languages as well but being here right mm. like we're speaking English but I mean there's all these words that I feel like are everyday vocabulary for me yeah. as well that are coming from Te Reo Maori that is part of what we would say you know the English that's spoken here in Aotearoa and so when you talk about that tension, I think that's true. There's these collisions and you're identifying them and navigating through it. And I guess that's what I'm fascinated as well is like, you know, in that process, like you, we come to find out more about why we say what we say. Sometimes we inherit metaphors that we don't know what they mean, right? Because we're just, we're speaking in shadows yeah. of a past language that maybe wasn't even our own. And that's all it is, bro. You know? And that's all it is. You know, I... I, I Going back to um, indigenous language as opposed to uh, Western, oh, indigenous linguistics as opposed to the Western approach to linguistics, it's all helpful. You're always going to get some type of outcome regardless. Um, it's nice to know how to break things down from the smallest particle and work up. You know, that's, that's how English linguistics works. You work from the smallest particle, you work from the the ands and, and things like that and, and you start to build up you, you, you look at language in that way and, and the thing with English is that it's fixed the subject always has to go first the doer of the action has to go first that's why you have words like it because when you say it's raining well what's it you know and but it's because the language is fixed you can't say this you could say the sky is raining I suppose but is the sky raining you know these these are all the little arguments that you have with other linguists so well, what is it it is identifying what's actually raining it's what they call pronouns of laziness yeah. and <laughs> um 
because the language has a such a fixed grammar you have to have words like it and not be because you can't say he's raining or or you know some people might not want to say the sky is raining is the sky raining i don't know was the rain just something that's there and whereas in maori and in, in another pacific island language and other indigenous languages it's not fixed like that you just say oh it's raining but without the it in there, you know, we say e ua ana, which just means raining, if you had to break it down in its, in, you know, in a rough form. And that, you know, that, that's going from the, the, a fixed grammar, then when you cross over to um, Māori, it's not fixed at all. The 200s also also structures, and you can say one verb and use it in like eight or nine different ways. Uh, to convey the same thing, depending on what the context is. Mm. Um, so then it comes down to your intent, rather than the grammar that you've been prescribed with. So your intent meaning, what is it you're trying to say? Who is it you're saying it to? Um, is it forceful? Is it not forceful? Is this meant to come across mm. gentle? Is it not meant to come across gentle? So you're working from intent rather than a particle. You know, so you're looking at why did if you're looking at somebody saying something in the deal, you, you have to actually go, okay, why did he say it like this and not like this? Because there's so many ways to say one thing. It's your intent that's yeah. going to govern the way that that particular thing is being said, that mm. that particular topic or that particular um, uh, subject is being spoken about. You know, and so which then brings into your brings into mind. The tones that you use when you speak, because mm. you can say "get up," or you, you know, I can say "get up" in in Mali. Hey, get up! Time to get up. It's late. You say it in Mali. Hey, ew. It's with the exact same intent that I said it in English, but in English it came across harsh. In Mali, it comes across quite. It, it doesn't come across harsh. It's just something to tell somebody. And so, you know, my nanny's always said that you can understand a bird without knowing its words just through the the tones that, that are used. And we call it the rangi or the tangi, the, the cry or the, or, the, or the melodies that they use. So the melody is what's important for a lot of the old people and the words are carried by the melody or they just float on top of the melody like a boat on the sea. And when you think about it like that, it comes back again to your intent. So it's it's... For me, at the moment, until I, I, I suppose I, I start studying a little bit more into it again, linguistics, and indigenous linguistics, is, gonna, is going to be based, for me anyway, is going to be based on the intent of the speaker and what it is that needs to be said. Yeah, we can break things down and, and, and identify the structures, but now we're looking at why we're using these types of structures and why we're using them in that particular point. I'm growling somebody, yet it doesn't sound as harsh as if I was to growl them in English. Yeah. You know, so it's about when you understand what it is you want to say, there's a grammar that goes with one you, what you want to say. When you use that grammar, a particular tone comes out at the same yeah. time. So those are the things that I, I would actually probably start from. Why did you say it like that? Rather than, okay... Here's what he said. Let's break it down from its smallest particle and build up. Mm. 
Bro, I love it. I feel like, you know, this is another way that it helps kind of better understand and define even those terms, indigenous versus Western, right? Because Western is this, it's a modern language. It's a result of the, the world of, you know, for the last 500 years, which is radically transformed. And even the language itself represents our current reality because language is part of culture and society. And with what you're expressing, for me, that's how I think about what it, means to have an indigenous identity which is uh a living relationship to the whakapapa the the genealogy of a people of a meaning of a place and of course it evolves and it moves and adapts but for me that's what that's how i think about indigenous like in in my research that's what i argued was that indigenous is a metaphor for and ancestral humanity what it meant to be human ancestrally and that we've maintained that living connection through that whakapapa of of meaning throughout time um because what you're saying right is something that i think would have been i guess would have you know my assumption is it would have been true for all people at one point in time in the past but with the changes in society and colonialism and all these other things this language, the Western modern language, has evolved to represent that new reality, mm-hmm. which is more about isolating parts and pieces to take from Kimmerer when she talks about grammars of animacy, right? It's, it's really good at taking parts and pieces and isolating it. This is why you have bureaucracy, you know, of or, in the way of organizing, whereas in indigenous linguistics, as you're saying, which I think for me expresses how I think about indigenous identity, it requires you to maintain a relationship, not only to yourself and your identity, but the context in which you're speaking. Yeah, and the and, narratives. Yeah. And the relational context as well. Like you said, you can say the same thing in many different ways, but you have to be in relation to understand. Yeah. You can't just take the word and isolate the word and then break it down. You have to understand the tone, yeah. the intent, the context, and the relationship that those people may have. And that's what I find. I mean, I don't speak Tongan fluently. But what I've studied in that language, it's, it seems to be the same of relationally contextual. And even my own indigenous language, uh, one of them, Kiche, like I don't speak that one fluently either, but what I do know, it's also that same kind of thing. And even in our writing, our ancient writing, one of the things that was difficult for people, archaeologists, in deciphering it later on was that they were writing the same thing in so many different ways because they were artists. And in the same way, you're talking about rhythm that's an artistic way of speaking. It's a poetic way yeah, of speaking yeah. where the rhythm, the tone, all those things have to be, t- you have to be mindful of all that if you really want to understand what's being said. Mm. And it governs everything that you do. You know, it's, you can't have language without your protocol. One, you need protocol in order to, to deliver whatever it is, in order to convey your message. But also, you need language to identify that protocol also. So it's, it, there's always that constant give and take. For us, you wouldn't say chirpa to an old person. You know, te nā koe e koe. That's how you would say hello to an old lady. Te nā koe e koe. Or, you know, the, the, there's, there's a certain tone that's attached to it. Mm. But it's also, it's your understanding of how you approach old people. It's the narrative of how you approach people and, and how, you do, how you do what it is that you do. Um, and and I've, I found that in, in, in my research, like coming back to kupu and its relationship to kipu, you know, the, 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 the ropes with the knots and, and how those knots 
um, maintain a particular story and that knot would have a particular word attached to it then that word actually if you were to expand on that word you'd get a whole narrative out of it that means that every word is metaphoric and every word is like a USB loaded with files and those files are particular to that one event that, that took place or that one thought that came about that was spoken about and even you know through words you bring people into existence and through words you identify who people are within within that space you know we say tenakwe you know which is which is basically that is you but when you break everything down you're talking about the mana of a person you're also talking about their lineage you know when you say tenakwe to somebody you're saying tenakwe to everything that's made that person you're saying hello you're greeting everything that that has made that person from their parents grandparents their parents their parents all the way back to the creator coming down to you that is who you are mm. that is what you are also and when when you think about mana when you think about that 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 divine power that that links everybody tenakwe is the acknowledgement of that mana in the mm. person because we have karake that says that starts with teneo which is this is me me and when you think about mana in that way, there, you know, in, in our stories, there's these three forms of mana: mana atua, the mana from our, our our guardians; mana tupuna, the mana from our ancestors; and mana tangata, the mana that we we pertain. But that's all handed down to each other. Mm. That's all handed down from from father to son, mother to daughter, mother to son. However you want to look at it, and that's all captured in one in one greeting. That's all captured in tenakwe. This is it's incredible, man. You know, because you think about. The, you know the way you express that and it's like you know one of the you know again indigenous as a it's a term of convenience so there's limitations there but it also is a term of convenience that can connect us yeah and when this is why we made our connection and you know i'm coming from you know a background of we not you know but a, a, in diaspora right so i'm born yeah. and raised somewhere else and then come here but speaking the same language <laughs> but not because it was english right but because we were speaking the same set of cultural values and in anthropology there's all these debates on the de on the definition of culture uh, ever since that concept has you know entered in mainstream com common sense but the one that i like is that culture is a uh, a collection of shared symbols and language and sound is one of those yeah. and the fact that we can communicate in a community or sh in a shared way in a collective yeah. way and that's what we've held on to. As indigenous peoples, we maintain that value of seeing how we relate in a collective sense. And as a species, I mean, it makes practical sense because, yeah. you know, um, to jump into the evolutionary thread for just a moment, you know, uh, there's this guy, Dr. Fuentes, he makes this interesting point. He's like, look, we, we don't have claws, we don't have scales, we don't have wings. He's like, we have communication, we have community. Like, that's what made our species yeah. us. And uh, for me, that's why I felt like in, to be indigenous is that uh, that living connection to that ancestral humanity, where yeah, 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 it's expressed yeah, yeah. in that way. When you say tenakwe to to greet someone, and I think about in Kiche, you know, you can say tsakat, which is I am another you, you're another me. It's acknowledging it's the that same thing, exactly. Yeah. The, the we're differently similar yeah, yeah. <laughs> and similarly different, right? Because we're saying the same stuff in different ways because we're coming from different parts of the world but with these shared or common values that link to this fuckapapa of what connects yeah. us as human beings 
I think the other thing is too is, is coming back to um, indigenous linguistics is looking at the, there's no contention there, there's, there's no tension when somebody brings up their point of view you know there, there, there are very few kind of outlooks on, on linguistics half the half, half people follow uh, follow Greenberg the other guys follow Chomsky you know if you're not in line with those camps you're 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 out of the circle, bro, you know, but <laughs> if I was to come to you with my theory and then you laid yours, we're like, wow, that's awesome. And you wouldn't try and challenge each other, mm. but you're trying to find a middle ground. Yeah. And and that, that's the one thing that, that I've really True. loved, um, where is, you know, I've always been raised that um, everybody has a piece to the puzzle. It's not until you put the puzzle together that you can see the whole picture. So what you bring, what you brought to my life and coming in and in, in academics is, is I was able to see how somebody who is indigenous, who was raised in an urban in an urban setting, but is is fiercely indigenous and in, in, in their being, um, can still function and operate in uh, in the Parker system in, in a in, for lack of a better term, a white framework. And I, you know, and understanding that you realise oh, actually, this system is there that's their marae you know that going going to going to university that's their marae and and i'm a visitor in that marae and they have rules and things like that but how is it within their rules that i can actually express myself and coming everything's based in language for me everything's based in language we wouldn't have laws without language you know we wouldn't have communication obviously we we all we always find a way to communicate whether that whether it be through tone or through words or or through music or whatever, but there's, there's some type of, of communication going on there all the time. And coming back to to the idea of, of linguistics, and it's all going to help. Everything's going to help. If you want to do some type of research on some type of language, you're going to have to do some type of linguistic, kind of, you're going to have to take on some type of linguistic background. However, the way that you utilise those tools is, is, going, is going to be uh, what defines you or, or what defines your research as being, you know, my paper itself was, I, I said from the beginning, this is a paper from Rirea. This is a paper from my Nan's nation. It's not a paper from the University of Auckland. It's a paper from my Nan's nation that University of Auckland are being privileged in, in holding it and actually publishing it when, 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 when time comes. And then when, you know, you're talking about metaphor, things like that, Coming back to, again, my research around metaphor, you and I are metaphors, we're all metaphors of our ancestors. Just like we think of those events that, that took place with, that produced a word, you know, te whainua is, a, is an event of my mum meeting my dad. You know, Daniel is an event of your mum <laughs> meeting your dad, you know, and and out of that is a whole other narrative. And, you know, when, when we stop separating words from people then we can actually start connecting and communicating properly again yeah. and, and, and actually acknowledging that every word that you, you're saying are the words that your ancestors spoke also so you're actually able to reinvigorate and speaking from the shadows right? Yeah. You, you're actually able to revive their voice and their life through your words and your thoughts yeah. And I suppose the other reason why, why I gravitated to metaphors so much is the, one of the main theories that, that I read is that metaphor is your view of the world and 
your social view and your cultural view of the world and then you take that view and it, you, you mix it in with your emotions and then when you start to speak the words that you get or the whatever, whatever it is that I deliver to you through word is my worldview wrapped it's, it's my emotions it's me as a person but wrapped in my culture and that's what you're getting every time I speak a word now that cultural view that I spoke about something handed down from my ancestors so my view of the world is always going to come the, the words that I speak in, in te reo, the reason why we want to maintain it and keep it alive is because it's the language that our ancestors spoke and the way we keep them alive is through carrying on speaking the words that they spoke it's not to say that we still live in the past but it's about actually moving into the future with their teachings at the same time and that's what metaphor allows us to do that's what language allows us to do is when I speak a word like we have a word back home, uh, back at Ereahu called Koreoreo. Koreoreo comes from uh, a fortified village, and all the men were out. And only the women, the old people, and the and the kids were were there. And there was an oncoming war party, and they knew about it. So the women altered their voice to trick the oncoming war party and make them think that the men are there. So it delayed the attack. And then by the time the men got home from hunting, oh, there's two stories. I was like, they were either out hunting or they were out at war, but they were they were on their way back anyway when this oncoming war party was coming. And koreoreo is to change your voice. It's, a, it's to alter your voice, basically a ventriloquist or, or somebody like a guy at police academy who can um, <laughs> do all the voices, yeah. you know, um, or make sounds. That's koreoreo. Now, every time we say koreoreo, these days you might think of it, if it's a tangata kōreura, you might think of it as an ventriloquist. Or it might, you, you may, again, think of the guy from um, a beatboxer. He tangata kōreura te. That's a, that's a tangata kōreura. That's a person who's able to manipulate their voice in a particular manner to produce something. You know? When we use that word, it goes all the way back. Well, the usage of that word goes all the way back to when those women used it mm. to trick the oncoming war party. Long story short, the oncoming war party got a hiding, and from from the from the men coming back, and the pa or the village at that time became tihi kōreoreo, the summit where the the summit where voices were altered, basically, or voices were manipulated. Now, if I keep using that word kōreoreo, I keep that narrative alive. You know, and every word that we use, that's that's metaphor. The metonym is what they do. That's the root of the metaphor. But the metaphor itself, the more I keep using kōreoreo, the more that narrative stays alive. And the more, you know, in order for it to stay alive, for it to live in the first place, it means people had to hand that story down and people had to keep using those words. Now, I'm using those words, and now this is back, this is going back probably 40 generations, roughly. No, 20 generations, roughly. You know, that's 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 a few hundred years. It's a couple hundred. There's there's a few hundred years of people speaking the same word, mm. yeah, which keeps those those women alive. What those women were able to do, and it also keeps a narrative. That's just one word that maintains a narrative. That's that's held within our nation. You know, and that's that's the power of metaphor. Is it's not just a beautiful way to speak. You know, but if you understand the narrative, and I say kōreoreo, and I use it as a as an example for something. I don't have to explain the rest of the story if you know the if you know the roots of that word, you know. 
So it's it's about maintaining whakapapa. It's about maintaining um, the etymology of a word, the whakapapa, you know, and I whakapapa to that particular village. So that word is also my whakapapa. It's, it's, it's also in my genealogy. And it's in the etymology of the language spoken of my people. And you know, we break off genealogy, in English we break off genealogy and etymology, and all of a sudden etymology is the, is the whakapapa for words, genealogy is the whakapapa for people. But we don't separate them. Mm. You know, I've always seen, um, since doing my paper, the grammar is the land and the words are the people. You know, and you get particular people to stand in particular order, you can convey a, a, a certain message. And I, I still believe it to this day that all grammar is is, is just is just the land that the words stand on, that the people stand on, and you're able to convey the message through that. And that's coming back to what I've what I've been able to find out through my research. Mm. And I'm just talking your ears off. Yeah, moment. yeah, no, no. Cut by my bro. We'll, we'll probably don't want to um, <laughs> add too much to that. I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with, 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 with those ones, man. Kill on my bro. You know, for listeners out there, hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully we we sparked your interest to. Pay attention to language. Learn an indigenous language. Learn your own. Learn another one. Um, but to to pay attention to language. And if you know, for me, some of the takeaways right of thinking about language from an indigenous perspective is it's about maintaining uh, living relationships to the past, remembering that, keeping that alive, and that power and that meaning, and then adding to it, either keeping that connection or for those who have lost that to to go back and reconnect. Yeah. Uh, with those things and begin that journey uh, and to pay attention to what we say words are powerful <laughs> if you didn't already know right so yeah. hopefully we've added uh, a little bit more to the importance of words the importance of grammar the importance of what we say and how we say it and we'll wrap it up with that be careful with your words everyone be careful with your words. <laughs> but also learn your language yeah learn, learn your, your language. language you know when our ancestors came here when when you inhabit when when you when you um inhabit an environment you inhabit a language as well you know the, yeah. the, the environment brings a language and a lot of people these days are a bit iffy of whether they want to learn te reo Māori or not you know mm. or whether they want to learn your language or anybody else's language but you'll find that when you understand that you when you step into an environment and you have a language to go along with that environment you have a you have a deeper and richer fulfillment of your place and your standing in that place at yeah. that time so uh, for those of you listening, thank you guys for coming. And to your whare, I should say. And um, yeah, and, and allowing me to talk on the stuff that I, I'm happily nerd out on. Awesome, bro. We'll do it again time. for sure, I'm sure. Uh, crazy. We'll do crazy. it again. Kia ora, thank bro. Thank you, everybody. Sibalak <laughs>